Episode 3,333, three, four times for the episode number. I was kind of bummed with my numeric weirdness that I didn't end a week on a 3333 three, three, three because we had that one guest that didn't uh, work out, um, and we had to skip that episode, but that is the very definition of a first world problem. Anyway, today we're going to talk about something I think is really cool, taking raised beds with you as a renter with Nick Bacone. Um Next guy that was like, I want to do something. I want to grow my own food. I want some food security. And then, you know, looked at his backyard and said, but that's not mine. That belongs to somebody else. I'm going to leave here one day. And all the work that I would put in, well, it's all, you know, either going to be left to this landlord if they keep it or worse, it might just all go away. And then my investment is just gone. Sound familiar? I hear from people all the time. I want to grow my own food, but I don't own my own property. Well, we're going to talk about that today. Before we do, I want to go ahead and talk about our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Ridge Wallet at Ridge.com. Ridge Wallet is a great EDC company. It started out, it was just a wallet. They sent me a wallet about five years ago because they wanted to be a sponsor. I had a spot. I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't know if it's a fit. They're like, let us give you one. And, you know, they sent me like four, actually. I gave several away as gifts. And uh, I've been carrying that wallet now for five years, and my billfold has gone away and has never come back. It's just a better way to do things, and it protects your identity. But they have a whole bunch of really cool EDC gear, uh, so check them out today. They're at Ridge.com. That is really easy to remember. Next up today is JM Bullion. You know, guys, I have been talking about Bitcoin since 2013 in earnest. I probably mentioned it a time or two in 2012. I've been talking about silver and gold since 2008, as far as the podcast goes, because I was talking about silver and gold like the first week of the show. And I am not one of these guys all in on one thing. I believe in spreading out my risk by spreading out my investments. And I've always recommended somewhere between 5 and 10% of your net wealth in silver or gold. I personally trend to the 5% number, but I'm okay with up to 10%. The big deal is, well, where are you going to get your silver and gold? I think you should get it from the company that sponsored this show now for almost 10 years. They have been with us as a loyal sponsor, the company that will ship your silver and gold for free, the company that will give you a discount if you're an MSB member, and the company with better uh, pricing than bigger silver houses like Monix and Atmex, and the company that I have a personal relationship with the president of the company uh, where I can solve problems if they ever do pop up. I don't know why you would go with anybody else when you look at it that way. So check out JM Bullion today and uh, check out some of the really cool offers. You remember one of the things I really like about silver is that it teaches children hard money, but it also has like a lot of ways to do it. One of the things I like to do is for my grandchildren, and some of my nieces and nephews, like Christmas, birthdays, holidays, we'll come up with like a really cool silver round that we'll find. And boy, does Jam have a lot of those and uh, make that part of their gift. And the cool thing about that is we've given those kids all kinds of crap that's ended up at Goodwill or what have you or, you know, secondhand this and that. But you know what? They still have every single ounce of silver. I even have little treasure chests for my grandkids. So it's a cool thing to think about. Anyway, with that, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about growing food in your backyard when your backyard is actually somebody else's backyard. And with that, I want to welcome Nick to the Survival Podcast. How you doing, man? 
I'm doing good, Jack. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Hey, um, let's start off with who you are instead of going into the subject right away. Who and what is a Nick Picone, and, and where, do, <laughs> where does one of those items come from, uh, and how do they get led through that path? Or like, I want to grow my own food. Well, I uh, I grew up essentially just across the border in upstate New York in one of those cow towns that people forget exists. You say you're from New York, they go, oh, how's the city? I'm like, I've never seen it. It's a long <laughs> ways away. I <laughs> uh, currently live in Ohio and was in the ATM industry for 10 years. Um, and then the pandemic hit and me and my wife were like, well, we've been listening to Jack for years. Like, okay, this... The minute I knew that they were canceling the basketball season, I'm like, okay, this is not like any other time. Something weird is happening, and we got to worry about food. What can we do? Anything. And we started a we started a small garden in our backyard. Uh, one of the issues we had, so I'm like, we're 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 laying this lasagna garden in the backyard. I'm like, we're gonna leave this when we leave. Yeah. And, you know, I love the idea of a raised bed garden. And I'm like, well, what can we do? I'm like, we've got to do something that this goes with us. Uh, for whatever reason, I'd had a bunch of uh, suitcases sitting in our basement, like old cloth luggage like you take from the like, 80s, whatever. And I started uh, you know, taking that, uh, putting the dirt that we'd had in there, fill them up like we we're making a raised bed out of it. Okay. Lo and behold, we got gentrified out of that neighborhood during the pandemic because, you know, <laughs> Housing prices being what they were, the landlord's like, I love you guys, but I can make a lot more money off the house, so you got to go. And the beauty of it was when we went, all that soil that we'd spent, you know, all that money building, buying the amendments, things like that, we uh, we literally packed into, zipped up the suitcase when we moved out, threw it in the back of a U-Haul, put it in the backyard. A year later, I, after I lost my job with the ATM company after they were acquired by a multinational and started doing delivering Uber to, you know, learn how to hustle. It's a thing I skill I never picked up in life. And I said, okay, well, I'm done having a real job. I'm going to learn how to make it work day to day and find out how to do that. And well, while I'm out, like you want to expand your garden, everybody wants to expand their garden and thing, you know, I'm like, well, I had this suitcase idea. Well, as I'm out driving every night, I start noticing all this trash on the side of the road, which believe it or not is very heavy with, luggage that people just don't want in their attic anymore sure and so you start picking up you know piece by piece and like you said like every piece of luggage is like you know between you know four and six square feet of growing space to put a frame of reference between that and buckets just driving in this past week i picked up 30 square feet of garden to put in my backyard that's awesome (laughs) just if i'm out driving i'm like okay quick stop throw in the back of the truck we'll put it in the garden tonight go buy some dirt in the morning. You know, and there, there, there is no price cheaper than free. I guess if somebody was paying you to take it away, that would be the exactly. only way that you could do better, you know? And so, you know, go ahead. It's been, yeah, I think we're going on three years now of gardening like this. And I post my pictures of my garden on Twitter all the, and Facebook all the time. And as people are blown away and I'm like, yeah, and it's grown out of suitcases. <laughs> It, it, it makes a lot of sense in a way because, you know, there's a lot of people that are really enamored with grow bags. And I've looked at your pictures and you use those too. But just like a grow bag, a suitcase is a, like not a hard-sided case. It's going to breathe and get air into the root zone, which exactly. is one of the reasons grow bags have taken off so much. 
and in grow bags we have, but once again, I have to pay for those grow bags. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Now, now there's something I, I find really interesting about it. So I did a lot of uh, stuff at my place in Arlington. Then we moved to Arkansas for a few years, and then we moved here about 10 years ago. And every one of those moves, everything that I had growing in pots and stuff like that ended up being a pain in the ass to move um, because you're worried about turning over. It doesn't stack well and whatever. Well, if you've got all your soil, which is your investment, that's your real investment Mm -hmm. is soil. In suitcases, well, when it's time to move, even if it's too early to harvest, cut everything, close it up, throw it in the moving truck, get where you're going, and you have your soil with you. And uh, I've done I've it. I've got a lot of people, I want to start trees before I move or whatever. I'm like, I did. Uh, how far are you planning on moving? If you're planning on moving five miles away and you can make five or six runs with your pickup truck with them in the back tarped over, sure, go ahead. But if you're talking a major move here, really think about what you're choosing to do. Well, and that's definitely been a concern for us. Like when we're this winter, we're deciding what we're going to be growing this year. And every year we try and add a little bit to it. And um, I really was had my finger on the button to get a few trees. But I'm like, we really don't plan on staying here. The whole goal of this is so eventually we can move someplace. Mm-hmm. It's not the middle of Cleveland. Like I live in, frankly, the inner city as it would be. And we want to move out out in the country, have our own space. So we ended up not pulling the trigger this mm-hmm. year. Uh, on that what we do however have is you know there's plenty of bushes that'll give you you know plenty of food mm-hmm. and the beauty is most of those bushes are self-propagating i'm having trouble keeping my blackberries under control sure like the, every time they'll throw a runner it'll hit in the dirt and then i gotta try and find a new bucket to throw that in and then i got a new blackberry plant now yeah far be it for me to complain about abundance but sometimes it's just annoying that i have to do, go through the work of it when you're having to weed your productive crops out that's a good thing that is that is a very good thing. Um, how did you? Let's kind of go back to what you were talking about. Like in your notes, I, I see perfect is the enemy of the good. So maybe this wasn't exactly what you wanted to do, but it was a way to get something done. Oh, absolutely. And and one of the things about it is that uh, we were not good gardeners. Like we we'd flirted probably for ten years about starting some kind of garden and failed miserably at it every time we've, we've moved apartments. We've had, you know, the old tote with the water in the bottom doing like a wicking kind of thing. And it, it was just always horrible. But like, once we had this soil and we could start working on it and maybe it'd be a little better this year, but now we, you notice that every year that soil gets a little bit better, produces a little bit more and just going through the effort of, okay, whatever we have, like I, when we first started back, like in the beginning of the pandemic, I'm like, okay, what can we grow from the grocers we already have? Like don't onions and lettuce and stuff like that regrow if we put them in water? Like what can we do? And eventually it just escalates. So you start learning how to actually propagate plants and like, okay, well, we've got this and then we can make another one and then we can make another one off of that. And the big issue is that people like will stop and it'll be like my, my, my Blahildi beans that we got there. Um, people will stop because, ah, you know, I'm not good at this. I don't think I, I know what I'm doing. Well, nobody knows what they're doing when they start anything. You have to just start and you learn as you go. Like This is not what that yard looked like two years ago. I can tell you that much. Yeah, and for those that are on the audio only, I've got an image up right now off uh, Nick's Twitter, and this is his backyard. I figured for those who watch the video anyway, it gives you an idea of the scale that can be accomplished in a, you know, an impermanent, a temporary manner where we're not going to have to give up everything that you work for because – it is the soil that ends up being 
the biggest investment many times. Even when you build a conventional raised bed, if you don't have soil on site, and if you're in a suburban backyard that's flat and you take the soil, you make a hole. So generally you end up having to do something for fill and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's an investment. And then your care of it over time is also a significant investment. The life of that soil is more important than just the raw NPK. So having a way to preserve that when you're in a temporary or transient situation, I think is really cool. Um, how did you come to the conclusion that raised beds were the answer? Like how did that play out? <laughs> I mean, for, I don't know, raised beds is kind of look cool. Like, part of the issue, like, when you're talking about moving, it's like, it was my, like, raised beds were kind of the necessity. It's like, well, I can't take somebody else's dirt with me when I go if I'm going to put yeah. all this money into it. So I'm going to have to lift it up off of that somehow. And it just kind of worked out that that's what went. Like, obviously, like, it, eventually I plan on putting this dirt in the ground, like as part of the base of like what we start when we get there. Cause the one limiting factor that we you're obviously going to run into is that like with the exception of some of the stuff, like there, there's a, an old, like one of the things that I decided to move into this particular garden is an old craftsman toolbox that I'd like had the outer shell of and ripped all the, uh, cause it you know, got busted up in a work vehicle. Yeah. Threw it, threw it on its back, filled up. That's my deepest soil. And that's about a foot and a half deep. Okay. And so, like, we don't have the ability to have a lot of big plants that need a lot of, you know, depth to soil, yeah. you know, nothing with a huge taproot. Um, we've, we've, one of the things we've struggled with, actually, is the, you can see we have the felt wall over there with the pockets. I have yet to find anything that could grow, into, grow in it until this year, okay. where apparently all of our herbs grow just fine over in the, uh, the felt buckets or felt pockets. And so I think starting this year, moving into next year, I'm just going to, like, all of our, you know, lemon balm, our oregano, chocolate mint, and all that stuff, I, we're just going to propagate in all those pockets. And, like, we have it there. If we want to give it to people, we can give it to people. Yeah. Gotcha. So you got a lot of this stuff at no cost, but it wasn't all free, I'm sure. So what was, like, your startup investment? Well, like I said, luckily we had our startup investment, we had – the suitcase is kind of already there. And so the real investment is always in like, because like you said, we're going to dig a hole. There's an empty spot back there. So we had to start from putting dirt in. And that is always the thing with us is whenever we add new footage, I've got to go and spend the money to add the dirt. Mm-hmm. Beauty is dirt's pretty non-expensive. Like I, I can fill one of those buckets for like 12 bucks or like one of those suitcases for about 12 okay. bucks. It's like, two bags of topsoil, some compost, and even compost is just to add to the compost that we already have. Okay. The thing that we've gotten into uh, up here, we're uh, getting used to using cocoa core. And that's probably like the most expensive thing that we purchased, but that's just like, we find it does help our soil a little bit. Yeah. So cocoa core, you, are, is that also probably helping with the fact that you have a relatively shallow uh, reserve yeah. of moisture. So it's probably helping with moisture conservation too. And, and that was my addition because it's like, these things, while they're beautiful here, all those sides can wick also because they're cloth. And so yeah. you end up getting, I don't know if it's more air that can penetrate it, but it does tend to hold moisture a little bit less. Now, granted, I do live in the north and moisture is not a terrible problem up here. No. But there's been a couple weeks in the summer that like, oh, I'm glad I, glad we did what we, we did. And I think that maybe people do need to understand that like this is going to be climate specific as to how well it works. If you had a six inch deep, cloth suitcase in the sun 
here right now, you oh, better yeah. water it four times a day. Yeah. Right now you can automate, you can do it. You can absolutely do it. You can automate irrigation. That's a drip irrigation. that goes off four or five times a day, but it's what it's going to take in your climate. It doesn't surprise me at all that this works well. Are you, you are you in Ohio now? Do you move from New York? Is that I, oh yeah, yeah. I, I live in I live in the city of Cleveland. Like okay. I can look at the skyscrapers from my house, my backyard. Got you, got you. It's a it's a great climate though. I pick on the northeast, mm-hmm. but it is for growing. I mean, it's where I grew up growing stuff in my grandfather's place. It's it's a fantastic climate for growing. It's true four seasons. You get the break yeah. at the winter time. It's an awesome climate. Um, what were the big lessons you learned and maybe some of the setbacks that, that clued you in on them? I mean, to a certain degree, like we've touched on, like nobody's perfect at this from the beginning. You know, we all, we, we grab that Baker Creek catalog and like, Oh, I want to grow this and I want to grow this and I want to grow this. And I don't care how specific you are to try and stick to your zone. Some things just work and some things just don't. Yeah. And so, you know, Right now, we're in the process of work. We do more seed saving now. It's like if something works, okay, you find the best plant that we got and don't touch it. That way we can pull off what we can seed-wise. But, you know, you might spend maybe 15 bucks a, a year on seeds that just don't do anything. Uh, we, we had these these gorgeous, uh, gorgeous, what do you call it? Uh, they were chocolate cherry sunflowers. And I just, they looked awesome. I wanted them. We bought a whole packet of them. I think we, we I think we actually planted half the packet and I got two of them <laughs> and, I sh- and I should have guessed that when they said they were from Africa, they probably weren't going to do too good up here. Yeah. But yeah. you know, you said you look at those pictures like, Oh my God, I want that here. I want to put that in the backyard. And so really learning to respect where we are in the system. Like I get jealous when I have my buddies in Florida and Texas and I'm looking at their gardens and how do you already have fruit on your tomatoes already? And then I'm like, oh, wait, because you've had sunshine every day for the past month, and I'm still dealing with overcast skies. Yeah. You know, There's all trade-offs with that, though, Like, because right now everything's miserable. Like it, here, it's 106 degrees today. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's So we have, like, you guys have a really hard winter. We have a pretty easy winter. We have a really brutal July and August. I mean, that's that's I, I can yeah. get more productivity in February than I can in August. It, it's just how it works, you know. Well, and and that's kind of one of the other things we've had to learn is that like we do have a very specific growing season here, and so some of the biggest lessons are what are the ways in which we can learn to expand our growing season. Uh, yeah. And so for many years, I've had a horrible addiction to Diet Mountain Dew, like. <laughs> and because of that horrible addiction, have acquired uh, a certain number of two-liter bottles. And when I ran out of space to keep my, all of our like water that we store in, I decided, well, i got to do something else with these bottles. And so nice. we decided to cut them in half, and they're the phase two of like our indoor growing. You know, we start them in the you know the big trays inside, and eventually we move those up to the bottom of a two-liter bottle. And then when it hopefully depending on how the this, the winter is like this weird winter was weird. And I think we got a little overzealous and put things out too early, but you know, learning how to deal with, okay, we really have three growing seasons here. If we look at it properly, we've got early spring where we can grow more of the peas and things like that. You've got our summer where, you know, our tomatoes and peppers and stuff like that, that we can put out are going to thrive. But then we've also got that, that, that end of fall going into winter where, you know, lettuces and things like that we can put out and still get good 
good growing on things that also have, you know, shorter growing seasons. So they can do the first two months, the last two months and still give us, you know, give us what we need. Hmm. What, um, on, on this system, like, you kind of lead off with this luggage and we looked at some pictures, but for people that can't see them, talk about how that's not the only thing that you've done. Like you've, you've created other, and I wouldn't even call this all raised beds so much as more container gardening. So okay. what are some of the other options you've brought in as your strategy on that? Well, like I said uh, earlier, I did pull in an actual, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, a steel <laughs> toolbox that like yeah. I pulled, pulled all the drawers out of, um, there, you know, buckets obviously buckets are another thing that you can find super easy like just driving around like some people have luggage and some people just throw away their old buckets i will take take a drill drill about 10 holes in the bottom of it and then throw some canvas at the bottom fill them up with dirt and they work just fine for what we need up here anyways uh but to say like there's more going on in our garden obviously if you look there's those those bean plants aren't you know six feet tall on their own and so we started buying like the just uh what do they call it um it's like mechanics fabric or you know hardware fabric i think they call it mm-hmm. and so i started what initially started is i wanted to make tomato things so that they can vine up and grow up. well we have certain tomatoes like in particular for us we call them uh, yellow pear and they grow like a weed and last year what i did is i grew them up against a sheet of that corrugated stuff in some places and i couldn't maintain it it was just too much and like we were running out of vertical space for my beans to crawl. And so I decided this year, like, you know what I want? I want a tunnel of abundance that I can walk through. And so the entire side, like you showed earlier, and then all the way down the back, it's just not all the stuff's come in yet. Tomatoes haven't even gotten to the top yet. I've created it so that once the, the beans currently climb up the metal and they just actually connect in the middle. So some of the beans I have are probably 30 feet long at this point, like where they're crawling their, um, but, like, I can walk through there and literally just pick the beans underneath when I'm walking. Uh, that kind of happened. It's like, okay, well, we've got, we've got a little bit of vertical with these little steel tunnels. And I, th- I think the investment in total for all of that, like, steel there is maybe 100 bucks. Okay. Split, split between two years. Yeah. You know, just kind of learning what the plant wants to do and how you can help the plant do what it wants to do. Like, those things, they just want to climb. Keep climbing, climbing, climbing forever. And the longer you let them climb, the more beans you'll get out of them. But, like, at a certain point, you run out of that vertical space. So it's like, how can I turn horizontal space into vertical space for these plants? You know, it's um, it's one of the coolest things I think you can do as a gardener is to start utilizing vertical space. And the arches are awesome. I just actually, uh, being this late in the year and got a lot of production off of them, just cleared off one of my arches. And it killed me to do it, but the plant was like, I'm tired, boss. The squ- it's a, it was Trombuccino and mm-hmm. uh, another squash, and the squash bugs had just really taken it to task, and it's time to bring something else in. But while that was growing this spring, I mean, my ducks would just hang out under that arch. They're just like, this is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. It's shade. There's bugs flying around to eat. It's, and when you walk through that, it is, it is a different experience than just picking stuff up off the ground. And as we get older, it's hard to bend over, too. So it's nice to have stuff up there. But you're making use of all this vertical space that otherwise is wasted. And in really hot seasons, that gives you another short source of shade, not just for ducks, but like other plants. Like I, I literally plant things sometimes so that they'll shade partially other plants. Like I planted okra this year as a, I don't really eat a lot of okra as a shade. Mm-hmm. Plant. So I've interplanted peppers and okra 
so that the okra would get up over the peppers. Unfortunately, and this is like you're saying we all make mistakes. Well, I don't care how long you've been doing it. You will make mistakes. So back to um, Baker Creek's catalog, right? And <laughs> I see this gorgeous pink Okinawan um, okra. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to grow that. It's, it's, it's a coffee table picture. So I bought it, and it grows, and it's beautiful. It just doesn't get real tall like crimson does or anything. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like the same height, so my strategy failed. But all that vertical space, no matter what you're doing with it, like it's just, again, you can, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a force multiplier in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, the one thing I think I've, I've learned, if it was, I've learned nothing else, I've learned like there's a real joy. Like I used to complain when grandpa would have me go out in the yard. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a typical millennial in that like, come on, like I gotta be out in the sun and work. And that just sounds <laughs> terrible. God. But the thing that I definitely have learned throughout all this doing is that like, there's joy in just being a part of this, watching this stuff grow. Like I, I have a kid. It's cool to watch a kid grow. It's cool watching beans and you know let, lettuce grow. And even better is I get to eat the lettuce when I'm done. Like I get to go make a salad. I can't eat the kid. That'd be <laughs> you terrible. Can't go eating your kids now. <laughs> it, 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 it's confusing me. It's like I actually got into an argument on Twitter a couple weeks ago, uh, where the former president of the Libertarian Party, because I was talking about you know I, I gave up on libertarianism. I just talked to the homestead people. There's, there's no bullshit. They all actually do stuff. Better people. And he's like, oh, well, you'll learn why we stopped doing that. Well, you know, hundreds of years ago, I'm like, I enjoy doing it. What am I going to learn? I don't. <laughs> I, I have abundance, and I enjoy the actual process of doing it. I, I think I have nothing to learn. You, you've probably got more to learn there, bud. I yeah yeah. Um. Where did you find your stuff? I mean, you mentioned just like picking it up where people put their garbage out or whatever. Is there any like creative places you found things to uh, to grow in or grow with? Well, if nothing else, like if you do, we. What's funny is like in the beginning of spring, I didn't see any any like anything out, no luggage out. So we did go and make some investments. Usually, it's between like five and ten bucks. You can go and buy an old piece of luggage at any St. Vincent's Goodwill, like those kind of places. It's you'd not believe how much of it is out there. Like people just don't want to get, get rid of it. They think, Oh, this is useful to somebody. Well, it's useful to me. So thank goodness they give it away. But I mean, the price is on a decent tote today, even like you can't, you can't buy a decent tote for that kind of money. Like no $20, $30. I want to, I was thinking, you know, I want to go and get a steel garbage can just for water catchment. I like the idea of that. And I get online, they're selling steel garbage cans for $100 now. And I'm like, uh, well, that's a bit out of my price range. That's crazy. <laughs> let's, let's see what else we can find. I've been so insulated from this because I, like, geared up so many years ago. I like all that. I don't buy any of that stuff anymore. I have no idea. I'm disconnected from the reality of inflation. Um, I, I had a heart attack the other day when I got gas. I, I get gas so infrequently now that it was like, what? How much? <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's it, it, there's there's strategies to always save money and do more with less. And like if somebody wanted to take what you're doing to a larger scale, I wouldn't recommend this if you're going to be moving. But one of my neighbors up in Arkansas, that was property was up on a mountain and it was very shallow soils. And then you're in granite. Mm-hmm. So apparently I'm addicted to rock, I guess, for some reason. But they wanted a big garden and they came down and saw what I did. And I had actually taken an excavator and kind of made raised beds in the ground and built these Google raised beds mm-hmm. and all. And they're like, I don't know if I want to put all that money into it. I'm like, well, I guess not everybody has a buddy with an excavator that just comes up here and does stuff like this. So <laughs> um, we kind of strategized together. And what we came up with, they went to the junkyard 
and they found um, bed liners, the slide-in bed liners made out of plastic from, from four pickup trucks. They got them all for nothing. The guy didn't even want anything for them. It's like, just take it, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're hard to get rid of. So they took those and they doubled them. So each two were put open end to open end. And then they just took um, like T-post fencing and put mm-hmm. that around them to hold it and filled that with a layer of wood chips and stuff from the forest and leaves and duff and then compost on top. And we had free compost from a, uh, a compost facility uh, from the mm-hmm. city there. You could get all the compost you wanted, just you had to shovel it yourself or you could pay them to load it. And mm-hmm. so they built all of that for the price of the, you know, what a half dozen, dozen uh, T-posts. Well, that was and, the only money they had in it. Well, and maybe it's a product. Like I said, I, I grew up in Hill Jack country and there's a certain degree, which you know, I moved to the city as a musician to try and, you know, find my big break and do my thing. Yeah. But I've always sort of felt like, my my redneck past is kind of following me wherever I go. And when 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 pandemic happened, whatever, it uh, I was very happy that I still had the roots I had. Like I'd I'd spent time in a pickup truck truck scrapping, you know, looking for old yeah. engines we could rip out. And the thing is, is if if you're creative, if you get creative about the things that you have around you, like there's everybody has things that they don't use, like. I, I use the suitcases. It's what I started with. There's a certain degree I like saying, hey, I have an entire garden made out of suitcases and buckets. What do you got? Yeah. But I, at the same time, I, if I ever run out of suitcases, I absolutely could switch to dressers because I can't tell you how many people have dressers sitting out on the curb waiting for someone to take it in every one of those drawers, drill a couple holes in the bottom of it, and you've got something else you can start growing in. It's not oh, quite I as mobile. Drawers. But, I can think of the whole thing, turn it on its back and fill that. Or you can do yeah. like, yeah, there's plenty of options. <laughs> Why not both, right? Exactly. Like a little girl from the Taco Bell commercial. Why not both? <laughs> you know, and it, it, part of me is I have that, that muscle of like going drive and just looking for stuff that I can pick up and use. But you've got family. Everybody's got a room full of crap that they, they don't need, don't use anymore. I'm sure you could go and someone's got one of those old family dollar three drawer plastic, you know, containers, you know, Oh, pulling, but it used to be an end table or whatever. They're terrible for what they're built for. But if you're in a pinch and you want to grow something, I mean, each one of those is probably about a square foot, 10 inches deep of something that you can put dirt in to put a plant in. And each one yeah. of those will take at least a tomato. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's other things you could do too. Like, the soil is an expense, but most people live in the suburbs. You can walk around the block and pick up more leaves than you know what to do with. And there's your foundation to your compost. Talk to your neighbors about, you know, setting out glass, grass clippings for you as long as you're not doing the chemical lawn thing. Then you've got a green and a brown and you've got compost. Throw a mm-hmm. piece of goat fence in a circle and throw it in there. It'll be soil next year. Hell, at that point, plant into it. <laughs> you can grow right out of the compost pile. Well, it's it's funny you mention that because it, there is at least one picture I took this week where you can see uh, giant pumpkin plants. Uh-huh. And it's because we threw a, a, threw a pumpkin after Halloween into our compost bin. And next thing I know, we've got like 10 pumpkin plants growing out of it. My wife took a couple of them and gave them to people. And I think we're left with three back there right now because what other ones were remaining, these things just got so massive growing out of our compost. Like, well, just leave them there. I want to see if we get pumpkins this year. It'll be fun. Pumpkins must have an affinity to grow on an active compost pile because my brother-in-law did the same thing and it grew one vine and he insists, I'm not sure because I never looked at it and I just don't believe this. He insists it actually was the top of the jack-o'-lantern 
and the vine grew back. And I'm like, I don't think that happens that way. But one way or another, this he had like a 40-foot fence, and he just like guided the pumpkin vine down the fence, and it went all the way to, to where the gate was, and he mm-hmm. turned it around. He said it got about halfway back. And he got a bunch of pumpkins off this one vine. I just don't believe him that it was the stem growing back. I don't, I, 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 I've been around a while and I've seen a lot of shit and I ain't never seen that, but it was probably a seed or two that, that, that popped in there. Maybe it grew out. It just grew up and through it. Maybe it grew it. That's what I told him. He said, no, it grew up, whatever. There's arguments you choose not to have because there's, there's no fun in it. You know, he's not the kind of, like there are people that you can have an argument with and it's hysterical just to see them get worked up. He's not that guy. He's just the guy that says all calm about it. And just, I'm telling you, man, that's the way it is. And you're like, ah, this is no fun. Let it be a good story. You know, he's got yeah. one good story to tell at least. Yeah. Real pumpkin yeah. back from a stem. What do you know? It maybe it works. I just don't buy it. I, I, and I don't care <laughs> enough to find out. <laughs> I'm with you. I think that's what happened. It rotted and then it grew up through it and it looked like that. That's, that's my mm-hmm. best guess. Those are the same people that tell me that they know roly polies are eating their vegetables because they saw roly polies on their e- eating vegetables, and I'm like, okay, that's. I wouldn't have any because good yeah. lord, are the roly polies in my garden? They're decomposers. <laughs> they're, I I actually throw them inside my worm beds. I have roly polies and springtails and all kinds of critters living in with my worms. Um, are there any other strategies you come up to find stuff like to do this with? And and I as mean, you go forward, do you plan on maybe moving someday and? having your own place. And when you do, will you still continue to do a lot of things the way you are now? To a certain degree. I mean, like there's skills in gardening that once you know, like, Oh, this is a skill I know I'm going to use this wherever I might go. I don't necessarily intend on having suitcase garden because like I said, I would like to have more depth. I'd like to be able to let those tomatoes really dig in there and get huge and have space to go. I'd like, I'd like to have an orchard with lots of trees and, you know, depending on how long it takes us to get out of here, I don't know that it even makes sense to try and grow something like that in a bucket yeah. because it's going to stunt the root growth. And like it's, yep. it's circling uh, girdling root syndrome. It's a pain. And trust me, a tree in a pot is a pain in the ass to move. Yeah. But whether or not I yeah. still have all this soil that I get to take with me. Yeah. Like, I, I'm learning the skills now. The yeah. soil goes with me and whatever I set that on, this is just bonus for whatever yeah. property that is. It's, it's, yeah. I don't have to start from zero. I can start from three or four at least. That's awesome though. That really is. And it, it, it's back to your comment about perfect, not being the enemy of the good, right? Like mm-hmm. there are so many people that, I mean, I hear about this very subject weekly and I'm not saying a hundred emails or something, two or three people a week. I'm trying to grow food, but I have a rental property. I have an apartment, what have you. You could never do the scale on an apartment balcony, that you have in the backyard of a suburban house you're renting, but you can do something like these techniques work well on patios. I mean, you can do Mm -hmm. this at a small scale. Just, I say the smaller your scale, be more critical with your choice of what you grow, right? Like don't grow something that's super cheap and you don't really eat, (laughs) grow something that's unique and, or like herbs are huge. You were mentioning herbs earlier. I think they're one of the biggest bang for the buck and what we can grow out there. And go price a jar this big, you know, of mm-hmm. uh, oregano or rosemary and see what the cost is. Oregano is a weed, by the yeah. way. <laughs> I can't stop this stuff pound, from growing. Dried oregano by the pound costs more than steak. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, think my wife, I think my wife pulled, like, between the oregano and the lemon balm last week, I think she said she pulled, like, a pound and a half. 
just growing wow. wild. And and we make multiple cuttings a year on it because it grows just too stupid fast. Like I'm trying to keep my oregano from taking over the entire bed because I'd like to get some other plants in there. <laughs> it's tough. It is a tough plant, and it's I've got it here, and it lives without help. Like little niches that it's found to grow mm-hmm. in. It, it, it stays shaded enough. It'll live. Last year killed anything not irrigated died last year, even on some oh. of the trees. But usually it tends to do pretty well. Uh, I've got rosemary, too, like that. I've got rosemary that's been in the ground for 10 years, never been watered once. That's In this climate, that's just ridiculous. But that's that tells you that some of these herbs, I mean, if I can grow it, I promise you, you can grow it. And we were talking about, and by the way, like none of, like with our herbs, we don't replant anything. Like it's literally just what happened last year. That's one of the things. We were talking about lessons that you learn. Plants want to grow, and they will find ways to grow. I, I eventually told my wife, look, I don't want you to put any more borage like borage is great. Stop putting it in my damn suitcases because it's going to grow anywhere. Yeah. Just throw yeah. it in the yard somewhere and it'll grow where the other ones pop up in the garden that we never like. I never planted borage here, but somehow there's borage everywhere in my in my backyard. And like I love it because it's it's great for bringing pollinators to the yard. But it's like if it's going to grow in crap dirt, stop wasting our good dirt on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great plant. too. I agree with you on that. Um, I mean, I think in the end, what you're saying is creativity is like the true equalizer of solving problems, mm-hmm. right? Like, what can you come up with? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wasn't a gardener before this. And it's like, I guess, starting from where I'm starting from, how can I make it happen? What can, what can we do? What can I use? What's going to be the cheapest and easiest way to do it? You know, and, and the big thing is, is I did want it to provide abundance. We always talk about don't try and grow things that you won't eat. Well, I have no problem growing a ton of beans because I'm just going to make it into daily beans and that'll get me through the next year of daily beans. Um, we Last year, I think we had got four or five different types of beans we made into daily beans. And you know what? It doesn't matter what you're pickling bean-wise. It's a daily bean on the other end. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. more than happy to have it. Like, Blahildi, Dragon Tongue. We had a couple of those long Asian ones that grow to be like a foot and a half long and those were... They all pickle the same. So <laughs> I love those, like, too. They're like my favorite bean is those Asian noodle beans or yard-long beans, whatever you want to call yeah. them. I, I, grew the, I grow the red ones because I don't see that well out of one eye and, 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 and can't see out of the other one. And so they all intermingle with, like, mm-hmm. my tomatoes and stuff. And the green beans look like a stem. <laughs> so I don't see them until they're too big and overgrown and get all pithy. But the red yeah. ones stand out. So that was my, my hack there. Turns out, though, ducks like red beans. So <laughs> I know exactly how high a duck can jump. 40 <laughs> inches. Because that's anything above 40 inches doesn't get eaten. Anything below 40 inches, it's either gone or it like you can see where they'll jump up and snap it off. And like there's half mm-hmm. a bean there. So, hey, they work for free. So if they want a few beans, they can have them. Well, and they're giving you that good compost, right? That, that yeah, that's always they're, they're, they're worth their weight and at least compost, if not gold. Um, you mentioned making dilly beans. What are you doing with your production? I mean, one of the things about being a gardener, I always said it was a gateway drug to prepping. It's part of why I talk about it so much. If I get somebody gardening, they're going to prep because you're going to get more than you get bursty production. So you mm-hmm. end up with some surplus. That you really don't know what to do with other than give away or preserve. Well, especially for us, like we do, ketogenic diet i'm working on not being a fatty anymore and so there's you can only so many tomatoes that you can eat in a day and kind of not get over your <laughs> your carb limit and so yeah. ultimately what we end up doing with those is uh we end up canning those 
and, and the, the three biggest product producers we're getting right now, like, our berries do fairly well. Like we, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, all in the backyard. Our beans do really well. And we've had a lot of success this year with lettuce that we've never had. Now, mm. w- w- one of my ways in being keto is I will throw my I'll throw a bunch of chicken on a big salad, and that's most of what I eat in a day. Uh, so lettuce gets eaten up pretty quickly. Sure. When it comes to the uh, the beans, they're dilly beans. I'll eat them any day of the week. Love them. They they can well. They store forever. And kind of the same thing with tomatoes. So it's like whatever we can't put on salads right now just becomes you know pasta sauce for some you know uh what do you call it chicken <laughs> chicken mozzarella you know chicken parmesan in uh okay. in the winter months um we didn't actually it's funny so we did we we were more like we'd we've listened to you for years so we got into like quote unquote prepping long before i think the first thing we ever did is like i started with the water bottles i like you know what can i do to start prepping and being prepared sure. and as i said i had a bunch of mountain dew bottles sitting around the house I'm like well let's start collecting water i built a built a berkey with some instructions a friend of mine gave me and started kind of filtering our water, bottling it up, putting it in the basement, and eventually I ran out of space for that. So I'm like, okay, and then you move on. Well, what can I do next? What's the next thing that I can move on to? And we just, my wife, my wife's always been interested in the homesteady kind of stuff. She's very librarian kind of people, hmm. and enjoys like just the entire aesthetic of the old world. And so she's always canned stuff to some degree this just kind of gave us more of an uh, excuse to put her to use. Like now, now we can all of our tallow that we get from all of our meat. You know, like, I've, I've got jars of every kind of fat in the world sitting in the house somewhere. <laughs> awesome. So, awesome. you know, it, 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 everything, kind of, because everything feeds back in on itself. Like if you do one thing, there's a next thing that you can do to make it compound the effect. You know, nothing that you do, like, necessarily ends with, you know, I did this. Well, it's just a little bit of extra work to do this. You know, oh, well, it's just a little bit of work. And before you know it, like, the systems build on themselves. And you, you end up having things around you you never thought happened. Like, I remember we had a big snowstorm last year. And I'm like, oh, well, whatever. I've got enough food in the house to at least weather a couple of weeks. And, you know, it's if the worst happens, and even if it doesn't, as you say. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's a lot that you can do like that. Like I just saw you were mentioning the tallow and stuff. I just saw this gal on uh TikTok or something and she was showing how she gets free beef fat every week. She calls the butcher oh. at her local market and says, you know, are you going to have any extra fat from trimmings this week? And they'll say, you know, Wednesday and she'll go in and she'll pick up like five and they even package it for her. It's like wrapped like they're going to sell it, but they just give it to her. Oh, that's ridiculous. I'm and she's making beef crispies out of it and then taking the rendered part as a, as a cooking fat. That's I just awesome. get that for free. I mean, you just made me think of that when you said that. Was, well, I don't know if everybody can do that, but you, 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 it's free to ask. And if you ask four or mm-hmm. five places, one might say yes, because to us, that's insane that they would throw that fat away. But. That's what they do with it. They throw it well, away. Exactly. Like it's funny, like how many industries in in the world. And, you know, I'm big capitalist kind of guy. It's amazing the industries that exist off of byproducts and waste of other <laughs> industries. It's like, yeah, that's something you could throw away. Like, but you could also do a whole bunch of things. You know, what starts out as animal waste becomes you know cooking oil or becomes you know something that you use for an entirely different product. 
It's like, yeah, they, it's going to cost them money to get rid of that one way or the other if they're planning on throwing it out. Every pound that you take is um, dollars. They're not spending. It's another, really? another another week that they get to put off having the guy come pick up the dumpster. You know, that, yeah. I don't know if you've ever priced out what it costs to pick up a dumpster. It's, uh, oh, I know. It's I not planted cheap. them to get rid of shit. When we moved in here, we needed one bad, and it's not cheap. And when you're dealing with something like fat, you're dealing with a perishable that a couple of days in the dumpster, mm-hmm. it starts to smell like somebody died in there. Oh, absolutely. So it's, it's a much more complicated thing to get rid of. So, I mean, I would check with your mar- local markets, guys, and see if you can pick up beet fat, pork fat, whatever. I mean, and it's not, it's not like when you – do the Billy Bond thing where he gets all this restaurant waste to feed to his pigs and pretty much to get it, he has to take it all. I mean, mm-hmm. it's something like she was basically whenever they need some, they just call and ask when's the next time that they can get some. And it was a pretty cool little video. And I think like that kind of creativity is a lot of the things you were hitting on today is trying to like what it, it almost like gamify it in your head mm-hmm. to make it where you you're better at it because the more you do, the more resource you can serve, the more you can build for your future, which is really, and it's going to be more important going forward. I'm, I've been, as you know, I've been sounding the alarm that our economic problems have taken a turn that we're not coming back from. I don't think at this point, I don't think it's the city's burned to the ground or whatever, but I think there is no, there's no place where inflation goes away anytime soon. It just doesn't. This whole transport idea is just stupid. I mean, it's dumb. When in the world are you going to interview or have a, a, a debate with James Kunstler? That's the that's a conversation I want to hear. Oh, good lord! I had him on years and years ago. Uh, James Howard Kunstler, is that who you mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I went looking for an episode. I couldn't find one. He exists on the in the show. If you just Google or just use the site search and look for his last name, I read a couple of his books. But yeah, he's of the mind that it's all going to just implode to nothingness, and yeah. we're all going to live on cornbread and grow our own opium. Uh, well, and that's so. This is a, this is a mindset thing that I have a real issue with because, and when I was talking to, like I said, the former president of the Libertarian Party, and he's like, "Oh, you'll find out why we didn't live that way." I'm like, "We didn't live that way because." People moved on to different methods. However, we've also learned that those new methods don't work, and they're going to collapse in on themselves. That's the idea of permaculture to me, like I think of it as a technology. It's like we found yeah. a superior technology. We found a way for us to actually coexist. And if we take the lessons, like the idea of cities is kind of silly to me. Uh, then again, the idea of yards is kind of silly to me. The idea that you know people would purposefully get rid of abundance. Like a lot of yeah. people don't realize that yards exist as a way for princes to swing their dick around about how they could waste land, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, especially amongst libertarians, like you guys are, you call yourselves anarcho-capitalists and you're wasting actual productive capacity that you have. It just, it just seems crazy. I mean, I, mean, I guess a yard looked kind of cool, but you, know, you can make money off of that if you really want. You know, I mean, first of all, the yard is a new thing. Like, the, 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 the British knights went back from India after seeing the Taj Mahal and these women would get on the ground and manually clip this stuff. And that was kind of the genesis of yards coming to England in the Western world. And they put sheep on their little yards and that was pretty sustainable and it was useful. But then every, you know, everybody wants to be the Lord of the manor now. And we have a yard in every home in, a, in, in the country uh, that's maintained by a mechanical grazer called a lawnmower. It's noisy and obnoxious. And 
the, the problem you're speaking of, though, with libertarians, and I always found this really weird because until I discovered things like social media, I didn't know these people existed. Uh, every libertarian I ever knew was all about growing your own food and stuff like that. And what I do now in my, my head anyway is I divide libertarians between philosophical libertarians and political libertarians. Yeah. And the people you're talking about are political libertarians, and they feel this compulsion, I think, to defend anything that's market, that's a market-based thing. And so since we have an industry that is part of a market for agricultural goods that produce it in mass, we must defend this beyond all law. It doesn't matter if it's logical or not. It's, it's a market-based commodity. How can you be opposed to that? Well, I'm, it's not that I'm opposed to it. I'm glad it exists because there's a lot of people would starve without it. But that doesn't mean it makes a lot of sense or it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do the other thing. It's, it's my modern survival philosophy of, you know, you, I'm going to use a GPS, but I know how to use a map and a compass, too. And so I'm not going to throw one away to the exclusion of the other. It just doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And it, it, it amazes me. Like, I think as deluded as a political conservative or liberal is right now, a political libertarian, and I mean like party member, it's all about getting things done. Most delusional group of people, nice people, well-meaning people, but most delusional group of people on the planet. They have no idea what's actually like. It's like believing that Santa's really coming, that you're going to go to like enough policy meetings that you're going to change politics in the United States and fix the law. Like it's just it's so weird where these people end up in their head. And I don't I'm not picking on you if you're one of them out there listening to us today, because we all start somewhere. And many of us start there that we go from being maybe a small government Republican and be find the LP and we're like, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for. And then you get Messiah syndrome and you run around verbally vomiting on everybody and you realize no one cares. Well, and, you know, then you either go Looney Tunes and you start, you know, going to national libertarian conventions and wasting your money, or you actually go out and do something with the liberty you have. Yeah. Like it's funny. So I'm one of those born anarchists. They're they're stuff of legend. I've only ever voted once. It was for Ralph Nader. <laughs> You know, it was, okay. uh, I discovered I discovered Chomsky very early on. I was like, okay. this just makes no sense. And eventually, <laughs> I learned economics and realized, oh, but n- neither of this is what I was doing before. And so, yeah. when I had a daughter, I fell deep down the political rabbit hole. Like, oh my god, what kind of world am I leaving for her? And I got to get involved. We got to change things and get this thing fixed. And then, oh wait. Yeah, this is all just people screaming and yelling at each other. Nothing's happening. And yeah. while that's all going on, I discover like you and. Just the, the world of permaculture and homesteading, and I'm like, oh, these these people make way more sense. Let's let's just do this. Like, there's actual accomplishment, things that I can like quantitatively look at as positive things. Well, and the, the, that libertarian argument against like growing your own food and all really doesn't make any sense to me. It's like you realize that somebody grew your food. Like, if you understand that a plant doesn't care, a plant grows on the ground. It's a seed. It grows into a plant. Well, moreover. Yeah. When you know how much government is involved in the food system, like I, yeah. the, the fact that it happens at all is amazing. Like the subsidies that screw up the whole system, like the reason our system is as malformed as it is, is because I'll take it back to you, when they said that anything that you do on your land can affect interstate commerce. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's back to <laughs> Roosevelt, right? That's an FDR thing. I don't remember the name of the decision, but it was the guy that didn't want to sell his. His grain and, and they made them or something and, like that. Yeah, I learned about that in ninth grade. 
and going, this is bullshit. And then I was told we're not supposed to use words like that in ninth yeah. grade. But <laughs> not really. I was so incensed that one of my history teachers talked about that. That was bullshit. And I just like it just came out of my mouth. Well, and how can you say anything else? Because it, it absolutely <laughs> is. It's like, this on its face. This is the most insane thing I think I've ever heard in my life. But you know, that's why you have to be creative. Like that's why you have to look for the ways out. You know, a lot of people find this because it's a way out of their bullshit system. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes making it work requires the same creativity it took you to find your way out of the box. And, you know, it's beautiful is when you're here and around these people, I find no shortage about creativity about any yeah. of them. Yeah. People starting their own businesses, doing their own thing with sometimes scraps, sometimes nothing, just finding a way to make it happen because they don't see a reason, way other than making it happen. Let's take a few questions people had here. I just got a few of them, but we'll go ahead and hit them and. You can answer them. I can answer them. Uh, or Orfer says, watering from utilities, is it possible to neutralize the chlorine and other additives? Well, it depends. What, do you even worry about the fact that you're using city water for irrigation? I, I we, we only drink the stuff that we've at least run through our Berkey. As far as in our garden goes, for myself and any other person I've ever talked to, it makes literally no difference in the planting in yeah. the backyard. Like there's stuff. My, clearly, my stuff is growing. I'm not too worried about it right now. I've never worried that much about it when it comes to irrigation because it's the concentration level is, is really low. I will say that in side-by-sides where I've watered with rainwater versus tap water versus well water, that rain does better than the other two and well does better than city, but it all works. And so I don't worry about it. If you really wanted to get anal about it, like get a few IBCs for your irrigation water, fill the IBCs up and run a, little fish pump in the bottom with a stone in, in both of those. And that will cause that chlorine to off gas. But what actually is really cool about that technique is you're getting very oxygenated water uh, into the root zone. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like, that would be a way you could do it. But I wouldn't do it, but if you wanted to do it, that's how I would do it. Um, if you go to the route of using chemical dechlorinator, you're wasting money. You, yeah. you put one chemical instead of another. That's so fish don't die. That's what that's for. It's for not killing fish. I wouldn't well, worry about it very much. And even, and we'll say this, in our garden, we also do have, there's probably about, I think, six or seven just plain regular totes positioned out and all that green stuff yeah. that are there specifically for water catchment. So we do okay. actually put, we do store what rain we can back there. And you so live in a place where it happens. rains, right? You live in a place where exactly. it actually rains. Like, fall, water just falls out of the sky all by itself. It, it does do that here. <laughs> I uh, we had a pretty good rain a few weeks ago, and I, I'd forgotten how good rain smelled. Like when I, when it, when it rained, and I went outside, I'm like, oh my god, that's the I forgot that kind of ionized. It was a thunderstorm, so you get the electricity mm. ionizing the water and all. Uh, Brian says, and he says to me, how has the wood vinegar worked for squash bug control? Um, so I got really heavily involved with biochar earlier this year. I've also discovered a lot of like. Uh, co-products of biochar one is wood vinegar which is basically uh liquid smoke uh but it's it's generally made for in you know agricultural use versus a little tiny bottle you pay five bucks for you you wouldn't be able to afford it i use a small amount of it in with water and you spray your plants with it and i found that it was pretty good on just about all pests the problem comes with there's a point where you got to stop doing it because it works on most pests but it works on almost all the pollinators 
So you can use it early in the season, but once those plants start flowering, unless you want to do manual pollination, you need to kind of stop. Now with squash, I do a lot of manual pollinating anyway to maximize my yield, and it's really fast and easy, so why not? But if you're spraying one thing, you're spraying everything. So once I quit doing it, it's the same as ever, and they, they've been hitting it pretty hard. Have you come up with any techniques on pest control? Or I know what your climate's like. It's pretty easy to grow there, and you probably don't worry about it. Well, it has a certain degree of, like, I, I kind of subscribe to the – as close as we can try and keep this to a natural environment, the better off I'm going to feel about things. Cause the minute you start attacking one thing and then something else gets out of whack, like I would rather just grow a few extra things. So what gets attacked gets attacked. And then what we yeah. have left over is what we have left over. Like it's the idea of nothing ever going wrong in a garden. It's you get disabused of that pretty quickly when you start growing stuff. It's like, yeah. you know, if I grow an extra tomato, I kind of don't care if one of them dies. Like, yeah. that's, that's the thing that's been hard for me, like, because me and my wife do this together. I mean, frankly, she spends probably more time doing the actual weeding kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I like to train the vines and she weeds. And she's one of those people that's like, will get forever clamped if all of the plants don't don't take. And I had to really force her, I'm like, honey, I want you to stick 20 seeds in the ground so yeah. that we get five that might work. Because yeah. putting five in and only getting one and you feel terrible. Don't, don't yeah. feel terrible. Just we throw, just, yeah, that's what I do. Take it what works. Double plant every every place you're going to put a seed, put three. Exactly. And if they all grow and it's crowded, then yank one out, right? Exactly. Or prune it off and, and just don't worry about it. Um, I, one of my favorite insects is the black swallowtail butterflies. Mm-hmm. Well, those they lay eggs like crazy. I was watching one do it yesterday on my fennel, and they eat the hell out of my fennel. I just plant a bunch of fennel, you know, and I plant it early enough that it's big enough that it can handle being chomped on mm-hmm. when they come. And even when I, when I, when I cut fennel, if I have any of the tops that I leave behind, I throw it in the garden and leave it there for them. Hopefully I'll eat it before it mm-hmm. dies, you know, um, cause they're cool. They're cool. And they, they don't destroy the plant though. They did one of my aquaponics system all by itself. They ate that thing to the ground. Uh, other than that, it, they don't really cause any trouble. So some of the stuff, like just because something, what I'm saying is just because something's eating some of your plant doesn't mean it's actually going to affect the plant to the point where it won't produce for you. It, it's And if it produces a little bit less, you're not a farmer that's going to go broke, plant two plants. Yeah. Well, and, and more than that, like, yes, I get annoyed sometimes when the, what do you call it, the chipmunks, squirrels eat my strawberries. Yes. But I kind of like having chipmunks and squirrels around. They look cool, and they're fun to watch. So have a few strawberries, guys. Hang out. Yeah, yeah. I only had one chipmunk that I I ever hated in my life. I was about 14 years old, and the cat caught it, and it played dead. And I went to save it from the cat, and when it came to it, it grabbed me by the finger. And I literally had to run down. We had a creek around our backyard. I had to run down to the creek and stick my finger with this chipmunk hanging off it in the water. (laughs) <laughs> so they, it, it hung on for like a good 30 seconds and it finally looked like shit i gotta get out of here and it went all on ass swam across the creek and went off the other <laughs> side but otherwise i think chipmunks are pretty cool but you know they are a pest um ben fox says he probably loses one out of every 10 shiitake mushrooms the chipmunks apparently chipmunks like shiitake mushrooms so grow lots of shiitake mushrooms if you're gonna grow those around chipmunks um this is something, it's not really a question, it's a statement, but I, since you mentioned it, I thought it'd be cool maybe to talk about it. It says, making your own Berkey sounds cool. All that really is is using the Berkey filters in something like a bucket, right? I literally have two buckets. They sit next to our, our uh, sink in the kitchen, 
and it's got two cheap Berkey, like, and you can find like we it's the essentially it's a charcoal filter. Yeah, they're not expensive. I put two in my bucket, and it's enough for me and my family. Like, just fill up the bucket on top, pull it out of the bottom. I think I think I may have spent. And I bought extra filters when I did it just so I had yeah. it because I was freaking out a little bit when when things went sideways. Yeah. And I think I might have spent 50 bucks on the entire project, including replacement filters for God knows how long. You got a fan here or something. Brian says, uh, what's up, Nikki? Great to see you again. First met you on the dad hat. Hey, Brian. <laughs> he, he's, he's got a he's got a good podcast of his or a good, uh, cool. good organization of himself there. All right, man. So, um, you want to tell people how they can learn more about you? You got any websites or anything like that? People can check uh, out. You can either go to nickpacone.com, find out more about me, just kind of in general. Uh, you can go to ironagemarketing.com, where I help small creatives uh, with the with the easy, simple parts of building your brand and getting out there. It's a lot of really easy things that, because you're creative, you probably didn't think about. And if you were doing it, you'd at least 10x your impact. Uh, one thing I also did want to mention since I was on the Survival Podcast is uh, this summer, uh, you want to come hang out with me, want to see me, I'll be at Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest in Gaines, okay. Michigan. It's a 76-acre private property outside of Flint, Michigan. Uh, this year is going to be our second year doing a self-sufficiency scholarship, actually. So for people who come and you sign up for it, we actually give you money for a self-sufficiency project that you want to take on. I think last year the girl used it to... Uh, build a chicken coop or something like that. So figured that would at least be pertinent to the people here. That's cool. Now you, you mentioned something about podcasting. Do you have a podcast? Uh, I have a couple podcasts. Okay. Uh, right now I run the Iron Age Marketing Podcast where I okay. actually talk to authors and comic book creators about – generally they get to come on and promote what they want to do, but we also talk about the things that they've done or learned as far as marketing goes that either work or don't work. Uh, a lot of what you find with small creatives is that they do very little in the way of it, and then they wonder why nobody's heard of them and that they're not selling as many books as they'd like to. So if, if we can help people learn things like building an email list or you know, maybe just paying for the URL that's your name so that you don't have to give out some 700-character thing on a podcast. you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I can't tell you how many people like go to Indiegogo slash da 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 slash da 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 da. And I'm like, you know, if you could just reroute your name to that Indiegogo, and it'd be way easier to say, get it right out there. Yeah. <laughs> I I also host a the Road to Hell uh, film reviews podcast where me and my buddy Danny, who is a uh, he's an expert on utopian history, and we look at science fiction movies and kind of cross-reference those with, we'll say, the conspiratorial side of things. Like, are these warnings really, or are these kind of the previews of what's to come? Yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Well, this was a fun conversation. I'll make sure I have links to your stuff in the show notes for people today. If you're watching the video live, uh, the audio will go up about 30 to 45 minutes after we finish. If you're watching it in the future as a replay, it's probably already there. Right down below here in the video notes, there'll be a link over those audio notes with the resources uh, that we mentioned in the show today and all my other stuff that I put out for you. If you click that link right now, it's going to go to a page that says it's not there because it's not. We're not done yet. It takes a little bit of time to get that done. Uh, but I'll make sure everything's in the uh, show notes for you there, uh, Nick, so people can find you and what have you. I uh, appreciate you being with us today. Thanks a lot, Jack.
Well, with that, folks, real quick before I wrap up, I want to remind you about one of the ways you can help support this show and the work that we do, and that's just doing your online shopping, starting at tspaz.com. Nick just mentioned about redirecting a URL. That's all that does. tspaz.com redirects to a specific page on my main website, and it's where I leave all my reviews of all my items that I have purchased, and I would purchase again or I wouldn't bring it uh, to you. Uh, many people do know I am a fan of DeWalt Tools. I don't, I'm not a hater of other brands. I think Rigid's a good brand. I think Milwaukee's a good brand. I think Nikita's a good brand. I just go back 35 years as a DeWalt owner. I still have tools from DeWalt that are that old, and I'm using adapters on for their new batteries, which are now not even new anymore. But, of course, I'm talking about the 20-volt batteries. Now, the one thing that I will say sucks about owning quality cordless power tools is the batteries are freaking expensive. And DeWalt does not put things on sale often. Today, they have a two-pack of the five-amp-hour max batteries on sale for like 40% off. Um, I picked up a pair myself this morning. The last time they had them on sale was a couple months ago. Uh, that sale lasted a week. This one might already be over by now. I don't know. I, I think the way DeWalt does things is that they want to sell something. Uh, they want to sell a certain number of units, get it out of inventory. They run a sale. As soon as that number's hit, they turn the sale off with no rhyme or reason on the timeline because it's always sporadic and different. So if you need to add to uh, your battery reserve as a DeWalt user, pick these up because uh, it is about as good a deal as they get. And here's the thing. The five amp hour battery is the highest capacity battery you can buy from DeWalt that will also fit in the adapters if you have the old uh the old uh, 18 volt stuff where you get the adapter for them. The six amp hour battery, because of the way it's designed, it won't go in there. So these are the highest capacity battery that will fit everything that uses them. So uh, this is a good day to stock up on your reserve power for your cordless tools. And I, I'm telling you, I don't think there is a thing that I rely on more on my property than cordless power tools. That's probably the number one thing. Anything needs doing, there's probably a cordless tool getting used to get it done, uh, other than maybe weeding. And I probably could figure out how to do that, but I don't think it's worth it. Anyway, guys, I really enjoyed uh, the show that we did today. I hope you guys did too. Uh, a little bit of a change up in the schedule this week. Obviously, we didn't do a show Monday or Tuesday, and I did that because I actually took time off. So a little important announcement here at the end. If you emailed me something between Friday and this morning, and it's something you expected to hear back from on, like a customer service issue or something, you did not, I would resend that email because the, the box is empty. That was a nightmare this morning because I took the whole five days and I did absolutely nothing. And in the words of Peter Gibbons from Office Space, it was everything I dreamed it would be. Uh, so I took one of my rare completely turn off the world uh, moments and it was pretty cool. So this week, because there's a lot of piking on the expert council, we will not have an expert council show. I'm not sure what we're going to do Friday. Tomorrow it'll be a standalone show. I'm probably going to do kind of current events and listener feedback merge together. You guys seem to like those shows. They're my best attended ones. And with that, I'll say goodbye and I'll catch you tomorrow with another episode. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? You should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. 
a better way.